I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Joining me today is Martin Whitaker, one of my favorite guests on Purpose 360. Martin is CEO of Just Capital, and today we're going to talk about the recently released Just 100. This ranking is so sought after by companies. Now there's been a little bit of reshuffling at the top. Microsoft, uh, who has just inc- got incredible stakeholder-based approach and leadership with their CEO, Satya Nadella, they dropped a few places to three and Alphabet was number one. Well, we're going to talk about why there was a bit, little bit of a shift there. Companies that were named to the list immediately put announcements on PR Newswire. I mean, uh, more so than ever before, uh, we were really proud that seven of our clients, and we have a, you know, a small, very focused firm so that we can do the best work, really innovative work, work that, that's built to last so to speak, seven of our clients were on the list. So that gave us a lot of pride in knowing that, you know, you're known by the company that you keep. At the top of the issues that are so important to Americans, number one, pays a fair living wage. Number two, creates jobs in the U.S. And I really love that number three prioritizes accountability to all stakeholders moved up from number 11 last year. So accountability is key. And Martin and I, we're going to talk about walking the talk and taking action. There's no more time or space for purpose washing or greenwashing or whatever you want to call it. Companies have made declarations. They did that um, after George Floyd's murder. Um, they've done it through the, the pandemic and they have got to act. Being a just company really does pay off. And so there there are a few metrics I just want to read for any of you who are skeptical about stakeholder-based capitalism. Just Capital is one of the leaders in the country that is truly using data to prove that working with all stakeholders pays off. Just Companies had a 4.4 higher return on equity and paid 19.2% more in dividends. They emitted 26.3 million less metric tons of CO2 through the use of their sold products. They donated 19 times more in charitable giving and gave, on average, 152 million in 2020. They also, again, looking at data and measurement, they included ESG KPIs and 2.4 times more in compensation metrics. Walking the talk, just companies are just doing better. So join me for this wonderful conversation with Martin Whitaker. So Martin, welcome back to the show. Hey, Carol, it's great to be back. I love this podcast tonight. I love spending time with you. So thank you for having me on. Oh my God, I, I hope I can uh, I can use that in, in our promotional materials. So <laughs> today we're going to talk about the Just 100. And this is what you had the first one in 2018. Was that the first year? First year was actually an industry only because it was such a challenge to do like a, an apples to apples across the entire you know, Russell 1000 list of companies. So 
2014, we formed the company. 2015, we did our first poll. 2016 was the first industry rankings. 2017 was the first head-to-head every company against every company ranking. Okay, great. Okay, 2017. So for those of our listeners who aren't, who kind of heard the name Just Capital, but they don't know what Just Capital does, why don't you just share with them your mission, your vision. And I love that um, what Julie Sweet, I think, said from Accenture, you're creating competition for goodness. So, so, (laughs) so, so tell us about just who you are and then we're going to, and then why the Just 100? Just is that it's, it's a pretty simple idea. It's how do you get big corporations to build a more just economy and through that a more just society? And that's really it. And we, we think if you can get the private sector, uh, and obviously we focus on those big corporations that have so much influence and so much impact, um, how do you get them to change behavior? And, and what sort of market levers can you pull to incentivize that? You know, we're all about trying to get companies to act out of self-interest, this competition that, that Julie talked about. You know, that's, that's how markets work. And I think we're at a time in civilization, certainly in this country, where we've got to try and create more of a collective vision. You know, we're so divided. And I think our, our, our polling really gives me heart because it makes me think that actually when it comes to what we want businesses to do to help us in, in you know, with, the, with, with, our, with our lives and our dreams and our hopes, we're not divided at all. So that's the big idea. And we do that, as you know, uh, we don't define what just means. We turn to the American people to do that. We do a lot of public opinion research. Actually, last week was our kickoff for 2022, our first focus groups. Fascinating. Almost the first thing out of someone's mouth on these focus groups, just talking about what, what should companies do and what, what constitutes just business behavior was pay a fair wage, right? Which, which is our number one issue from last year. So the public defines the issues. We track companies and rank them on those issues. And then we do a whole bunch of things with all of that, that, that we, we think drives change and creates this race to the top. You know, you're not that large an organization. How many people in uh, Just Capital these days? We're up to about 42, 43 full-time employees. And so you pump out so much in addition to the Just 100. So we'll get into that in a little bit later. But what was the genesis of you? You were sitting around a table. You're thinking about the future, thinking about market levers. Way back when, you know, how did the idea of the Just 100 come about? Uh, The idea was really born in a a lecture theater or lecture room at Columbia Business School in a course that Deepak Chopra was teaching on this idea of just marketing. Mm. And he's one of your founders, isn't he? He's one of He he was our founding chair. Yeah. He's now an emeritus chair. He's uh, no longer on the board, but was still very connected to Deepak. So he he I guess what happened, you know, there was a conversation uh, in in this class about, you know, what does a just company look like? And he thought that was kind of interesting enough to take to his friend through uh, several intermediaries, um, his friend Paul Tudor Jones, 
And obviously, Paul Jones is is a Wall Street legend, uh, a hedge fund manager. He's also a, a an incredible philanthropist. And you know the way he tells it now is, you know, he he saw this as like, wow, you could you could really create an interesting investment product, investing in just companies. And then, and then he had this idea that, well, wait a second, as a philanthropist, he knew that unless and until you got big companies, the private sector pulling in, in, in the right direction, you know, government and philanthropy alone, we're, we're just not going to get the job done. And so he felt like the more he thought about, it, you know, th- this is a vehicle that could really change the way uh, business is done, but more importantly, could change outcomes for society and and that might would address you know a lot of the real challenges that we're facing today well you're doing a great job so so we so we love that let's talk about um it's not about what you think is a just company you talk about going to the american public and since you have started doing this um it, you know you've I guess researched, interviewed more than 150,000 Americans. Can you talk about the attributes that you have learned from them? And then just talk for our listeners how just the background of how the Just 100 are rated and ranked and where you get the information. The process itself is, you know, we spent a lot of time making sure we got a fully representative sampling of, of, of voices. And it constitutes, it's actually a multi-phased process every year that begins with focus groups, as I mentioned, uh, all around the country. And uh, now we're obviously doing that virtually. Um, uh, and then we do more qualitative polling to understand what are the issues that, that rise to the top. And then quantitative polling, which gives us a sense of weighted, you know, how much, you know, if you were in one of our our, our, our surveys, it'd be like, hey, Carol, you know, here's a company A with three or four attributes, company B with three or four attributes, which is the most just. And when you get tens of thousands of people responding, you can build an algorithm that gives you the weights of those individual things. So at the end of all of that, you have 20 issues, which are weighted according to uh, the public's priorities. We then as a team go out and gather the best available public information on the largest 1,000 publicly traded companies. And we just rank them head to head. You know, we score them on each of those things. Um, Each of those 20 issues kind of breaks down into like sub things. But essentially, you're building this giant model that allows us to, 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 you know, measure how companies stack up on their actual performance against, uh, you know, all the other companies on each of those issues. And the Just 100 is essentially when you look at all the issues together, and all 1,000 companies, which 100 companies rise to the top overall? That's the Just 100. It's our, really a flagship product. Every year, it changes, obviously. And um, this year, we, you know, we announced that and launched that with our new media partner, CNBC. So we got we got a huge amount of attention on it. And and we, you know, from the Just 100, you create an index and you do all sorts of other interesting things. That's how it works. So let's talk about this year because this year you had Microsoft was dethroned. You know, Microsoft was number one uh, for the past three years. And I, you know, I, I adore Satya. Um, his leadership is amazing. I, his book is great. He's a very much a f- empathetic and humanistic. But there was a shift 
Alphabet was number one. So what does that what does that say to you in terms of that shift? And Microsoft didn't go far. What they were third, I think. I, I, they, they were number two. So Microsoft is there's a couple of reasons why companies uh, shift in the rankings. One is uh, is uh, not necessarily within their control. It's, it has to do with the weights of the underlying issues, as I mentioned. Last year, we had a lot of focus, as you would expect, on COVID-related issues, racial equity-related issues. And so this year was a shift. And the top three issues, I can tell you, are, were pays a fair and living wage. Number two was um, uh, creates U.S. jobs. And number three was prioritizes uh, stakeholder value creation. So that's really about accountability at the C-suite. And I stand corrected, you're right, Microsoft was actually number three. Intel was number two, which has, all, which has previously been number one three or four years ago. So It's a horse so race. The, <laughs> it's a horse so race. the gap, yeah, and Salesforce is number four, and, and B of A, I think, Bank of America, number yeah, five. Number five yeah. so, so this is not to say that, that Microsoft got worse this year. This is simply a recognition that, you know, we are trying to create this, this race. We are trying to reflect, you know, some of those changing priorities, so those changing conditions. Um, oftentimes, we'll get companies disclosing data that they didn't disclose before. So it may be that Alphabet, you know, has, has really, which does, by the way, very well across all the issues that we measure, um, you know, I, you know, we see real increases year on year in which companies are disclosing. For example, I can tell you, you know, we've just been looking at, at our own impact over the years. You know, it's fascinating to me. 2018, you had about 80 something companies saying they'd done a pay equity analysis, right? Pay equity, crucial issue, central component of a just company. Last year, it was about 250 something companies had done that. So that's more than a tripling over several years of company doing pay equity analysis. So that, when I think about what we're trying to do, you know, it's that kind of an impact on business. So the shift in the rankings, you know, with, you know Microsoft dropping up, uh, Alphabet going up a bit, you know, that's great and we celebrate that. But what we're really trying to do is celebrate corporate leadership wherever and whenever it occurs and use the rankings to sort of spotlight what that looks like. Um, so that's sort of how I think about it. You know, we're we're really in the business of trying to lift up leadership wherever it occurs, and we're we're, we're as much a fan of Microsoft today as as we were last year. Oh, good. Okay, great. Um, I know the day that it came out. I mean, I was my my email box was just absolutely is just lit up. I mean, we had we had our clients connecting with us and saying, "How are we going to? We're so proud. How are we going to amplify it?" I looked online and I think that once you announced it, there was a flurry of press releases coming out from the Just 100 because unlike previous years, this is like this is a, a ranking, a rating that companies truly want to have. And so was there anything that shifted in your mind that, wow, from last year to this year, but you know, besides COVID, that you know, you've become, dare I say, of age. You've become desired, and, and so anything come to mind? I thank you for saying that. It's it's gratifying to hear, and of course, you know, we only see some of that. You know, we were looking at our impact stats just uh, just recently, and it has been the most successful launch ever. I think as of today, you know, something like. 
88 or 90 percent of the companies in the Just 100 have been very vocal about that. So that's great. Um, you know, I think a few things have happened, if I'm honest. Number one, I think the the whole mission of Just in the world has become more important. Yeah. You know, it's it, I think it, it a few years ago, it was sort of nice if companies led on stakeholder issues. Today, I think that's table stakes. You know, I, I think the path to value creation today is through purpose and stakeholder value creation. And every CEO is somewhere on that journey of recognition. You know, they could be far along like a, like a Satya or a Mark Benioff. They, they, they could be just coming to that realization, but it is happening. And it's not, it's not a nice to have now. It's a must have. I got to have this if I'm going to, if I'm going to be around in, in a few years, if my social license to do business is going to be maintained, I got to have this. And so I think we have benefited from that. You know, I, and I also think that something else has happened over the last 12 months is the stakes are much, much higher now. You see so much more activism by investors, by employees. Companies have got to be positioned on the right side of issues. We found in our in our own uh, work that society expects companies to lead now, you know, and so the expectation of businesses' role in society has shifted. So, so I think all of that means the stakes are much higher, and so any recognition from a credible organization, and we try to be at just as credible and as objective. You know, we're non-political. We, we we we're not pushing a certain point of view. We're really trying to say. How does business best serve America? And, and when you start from that point of view, you have a much wider appeal. And I think that's, that's putting those, all of that together has really, you know, up the game and, and create a lot more attention for us and for, uh, you know, more importantly for the mission. I uh, totally agree. I mean, it, it, you know, you've been really investing, investing, investing in this mission, and then all these different forces are coming together. A as you know, you know that I've been talking about purpose and stakeholder-based capitalism for a long, long time. So that's why we adore Just Capital and the way the market is moving. But it's not easy. So I'm just curious, do you give or any of your senior, you know, your advisors or such, are CEOs coming to you or there's their senior teams and saying, you know, we were 657 on the list um, or we we're 954, which was the entire list. And we truly this isn't, a, you know, one. How do we get higher? And so are you giving any sort of counsel in that way? Absolutely. It's happening a lot. And we took the decision years ago that we weren't going to name and shame that we weren't going to sort of embarrass anyone into performance. We're all about focusing on, on leadership and what does, what is the best, you know, what does good look like and how do you get there? So, you know, we, when, when a company comes to us, it's like 670th and say, Hey, we're not happy. We're actually think we're better than that. We have a whole corporate engagement team who works with them, but not only to help them understand what we've done, because we're very transparent and we don't pretend to be, you know, to have everything right or everything perfect because the data are out there, quite honestly, in many areas leads a lot to be desired. So, so we, we, we are, we have a, I think a humility about what we're trying to do, but we definitely, we, we engage with 
business leaders to say, okay, here's where we think, you know, you, you, you could um, get the biggest bang for your buck. You know, here's, here are some of the things you could do that would be pretty easy. And oftentimes, Carol, that has to do with disclosure. A lot of companies, they don't really disclose what they're doing on, let's say, paid family leave. Well, guess what? That, 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe, maybe you didn't need to do that. But now people want to see that. And if you want to be a leader, you have to be seen to be a leader. So, so that I think is important. But yeah, we, we're absolutely working with companies and we've created a whole series of programs, which you know I think has, has really helped us work directly with companies on critical issues such as worker financial health, racial equity, things like that, where companies are like, hey, what do I do? You know, so we, we, we've got this playbook that we're developing now to help companies do that. Oh, cool. Well, when the playbook comes out, let's let's have another conversation about that, because we have a lot of clients who are just they're recognizing ratings and rankings or they're, they're recognizing um, certainly. And it's not just on climate. And I think that was the other thing that, that you, the public said to you, it's not about climate. It's about, you know, fair wages and, um, you know, workers. So interesting shift there. And, it's you know, it's like household table issues, as people are saying today, especially in a post-COVID world. So we'd love to, uh, to talk about that when that playbook comes out. So um, what about surprises? Were there surprises in this year's Just 100? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was kind of surprised ExxonMobil. You mentioned climate. ExxonMobil made, you know, made the Just 100. And I think it was because, you know, ten, people tend to, obviously look at them through the, a climate lens, right? An environmental lens, you know, and I've been doing this for 25 years in sustainable investing and ESG. And, you know, uh, I, I have my own opinions about Exxon and their performance on environmental issues, which by, by the way, you know, is really sort of interesting how they have evolved over the years. And of course, last year, you know, their uh, campaign, the campaign of engine number one around the board of ExxonMobil. And I think, I think, you know, I saw um, Darren Woods on CNBC recently, the CEO, talking about their net zero commitments and everything else. So they're going in the right direction for sure. But, you know, them, listening on the Just 100, we got a lot of people saying, what? How can they be on the Just 100? You know, and the fact is, when you look at all the issues we cover, you, and you said it, workers this year in this, in this model, Right now, 40% of the overall weighting. So 40% of a company's score is based on worker-related issues. When I found Just Capital early on, workers were always a critical priority for Americans. And I had been saying employees, employees, employees for 20 years. So I'm so thrilled that you're taking real desires in a transparent world from the public and saying it's workers. So please continue. So that's why Exxon gets on there and why Tesla, for example, doesn't. They don't do well on, on that. And in part, you know, again, it comes down to disclosure. Like it's very difficult for us to, to, to judge a company if there's just no information. And, you know, when you look at the, the, uh, the S of ESG, social issues, which, which revolve around workers and around the impact of companies on people and, and, and communities, those are really, really important in our model. As you said, they always have been. I think it's one of the things that's really differentiated us. I think pre-COVID, people would say, yeah, well, you know, worker-related issues, it's kind of interesting that you get that in your polling, but, you know, come on. And I think COVID 
and the whole economic shutdown, reopening, George Floyd, all of those things were all about people, you know, livelihoods, people's jobs, safety, you know, the mental health was all around people. And I think that was sort of S's moment where, where everything around the, the people aspect of business has fundamentally changed. And I really believe, I, I don't think we're going back to how it was in 2019. And, and so I, I really think that that is partly what, what you're seeing in, in the rankings as well, is like a recognition that S and social issues and worker-related issues in particular are like the new frontier of this whole movement. And, there, and S is so hard to measure. It's really hard to measure. I mean, we've been working on S for like decades. So it is great that you are now providing an interpretation of S through, again, the American public and their priorities to say, you know, it's about fair treatment of us and things related. And I love what you said to people and also the communities that the companies are are, um, located in. So keep working on the S because that's really, really important. Um, were there any other surprises in the, in the, and also I know I'd love you to talk about Facebook because Facebook, dare I say, plummeted. And I mean, what's over 600 uh, rankings or you know, levels. And so perhaps you can talk about that and why. Yeah. Le- yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I would put that in the surprise bucket too. So there are a couple of Couple of issues that we grapple with this year, which which I think you'll find interesting. One, and they relate to sort of the impact of business on society more broadly. I think our model does a very good job of ex- on, on explicit issues. I think I think it's hard when you get people to talk about more complex issues, such as the impact of social media on society. You know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, if you if you're a parent. You might think that's a bad thing, you know. Like I'm, I'm a parent of four, four like late teen, early twenties, and I don't necessarily think social media has been healthy and got a good thing. So I look at it in a more of a negative light. But my my point is that those more complex issues are hard to reflect in the model. And with Facebook, there was so much controversy around misinformation and disinformation on the platform. The the, the effect that was having on on sort of processes of democracy in the country, you know, all the issues around Instagram and the impact on, you know, uh, girls' health, mental health. And uh, we we put all that together and we like, can we honestly say that Facebook is deserving of being in the Just 100? And we decided that we we couldn't and that we needed to examine that more closely. And so we run it through what we call the unique event process, where if effectively a company while you know, while we figure that out, is dropped down, and that's that's that explains Facebook's rankings. So it wasn't you know performance related issue per se. It's a methodological choice that we made because of the complexity of the issue. But I'll give you another one, which sort of, which which also you know caused us a lot of of sort of um, thought and and uh, you know debate was around Uber and Lyft and. Uh, DoorDash and and how do you how do you deal with companies whose whole business model is based on contingent workers? You know, is that a good is that a good thing? Is that a just thing, or is that not a just thing? And and it's it's really complex. And it's it, and when you look at Uber as an, as a company, its full time employees tr- you know do really well. 
I mean, if you took the gig workers out of the out of the equation altogether, they'd be a very high ranked company. But you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that their business model is is very different. And I think we don't feel comfortable that we've really got the public steer on that. Mm. The same way we don't feel comfortable we got this public steer on social media and Facebook. So we sort of put these in a different category until we figure that out. And that's 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 what's happened. But that's what where we spend a bulk of our time when we are running the model at the back end. We're like, whoa, do we really think feel like we got that right or or not? Yeah, no, no. I I'd love to be a fly on the wall in those conversations. Cause you know, there's this dichotomy in terms of convenience and then fairness and um or ubiquity or megaphone and um and privacy. So those are going to be interesting things that you're going to I assume that the public will push towards you and say, hey, these are these are important to us, too. It's about me um, beyond my wages. So um, can't wait to see how you how you deal with that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a with Facebook, for example, it's a product issue. You know, it's really the, the, the you know, does that product contribute to a healthy society? You know, it's interesting. We, we we've done a lot of polling on different products. Um, including, you know, firearms and and um, and even, you know, fossil fuels. You know, we polled a lot on that. And people, you know, it's kind of interesting. People are very uh, much smarter than you think. And and it's sort of like, you know, when we first started polling on that, you know, experts would say to us, well, the public doesn't know anything. Why are you asking them about these issues? Yeah. And we found that not to be the case at all. You know, and so and so on things like firearms, you know, as many people think they're just as unjust. So we don't make those kind of moral decisions based on what we think. It's all about, you know, the signal, the signal from the public. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's a great segue because um, you wrote this great blog about um, in 2021, Americans told us they expected companies to lead on these seven imperatives. And then you said 2022 is the time to act. So I'd love you to talk about the seven imperatives. And I do love the first one, which says focus on actions over words, because that is the phase that we are working on with clients or we're giving speeches about, which is embedding purpose into the organization. It is not about the talk. The talk doesn't work anymore. It's the walk. So can you talk about these seven imperatives um, and what you're seeing in terms of, again, the shift into what company, you know, just companies are doing? I, I think I wrote that. When did I write that? 12 months ago? Yeah. About that, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say there's one imperative now, which is exactly what you've just said. 2021, if you look at what happened with, you know, even even look at like the 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 Senate Banking Committee grilling the heads of the banks on this idea of stakeholder capitalism. You know, it was all about, well, this is just political posturing. You know, why are you even doing that? You should be simply focused on shareholder value creation or, you know, shareholder returns. And it was really coming down to what are you actually doing that is in shareholders' best interest? Equally, on the left, the major criticism in 2021 was, this is all just greenwashing. It's purpose washing. You know, and, and I think, again, you bring it back to like, OK, well, what are you actually doing then? So for me, I think when I think about 2022, this is all coming coalescing uh, around, OK, what are you actually doing 
And how is that creating value for your stakeholders? And, and what, you know, the business case for that. That's what I, I, you know, any board that I'm talking to, any CEO, you know, any business professional, like, I feel like this movement has got to the point now where it is about demonstrating real impact, real change, you know, walking the talk. And then what is the impact of that? You know, when, when we talk about the BRT and the signatories of the business roundtables statement of a purpose of a corporation around stakeholder value creation, well, what does that actually mean? And how are you measuring it? And how does that benefit your, your investors? That's the story of 2022. Thank you. And I love that at the end of this blog, even written about a year ago, you, you said from your most recent polling, it demonstrated that Americans are losing patience uh, with 84% agreeing that action from corporate leaders is lacking. I think that that's absolutely right. It goes back to the point I made earlier about expectations. We really see clearly that people want businesses to do more. Investors increasingly want companies uh, you know, to, to do more. And so you get to the point where hope sort of begins to fade. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in, you sort of like, you start to lose faith that that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, take, take, take all the multiple pledges on racial equity and DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion after uh, George Floyd's murder, right? After a while, you're like, okay, great. Well, what's actually happening? You know, like, and, and if nothing happens for months on end, you start to lose faith that actually, you know, you lose trust that this, this is actually happening. And I think that's where, you know, you see that with, with net zero pledges around climate. You know, after a while, you're like, all right, show me, show me. And I, I've said this many times. We don't live in a trust me world anymore. We live in a show me world. You know, I'll make up my own mind. You give me the data. I'll make up my own mind if I think you're just or not. Again, I, I think and it's affected our mission as well, Carol. We've we've really, I think, over the last 12 months and certainly this year, spent a lot more time really asking ourselves about our own impact. Are we seeing changes in the companies that we're tracking? You know, because if we're not, we must be doing something wrong. Or like, what, what's the point? And, you know, we, we are. You know, I, I, you know I, I talked a little bit earlier about the pay equity analysis. You know, the last three or four years, it's been about 190, 200 companies have lifted wages. Mm. And those wage increases have totaled around $12 billion and affected around 3 million workers. So that's progress. They're not at a living wage level yet, but it's definitely progress. So I look at that. I look at the increasing percentage of women on boards. I look at the uh, you know increasing numbers of companies that have executive compensation tied to ESG outcomes. That's what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Concrete, measurable, tangible changes. Accountability and disclosure. Bingo. Y yeah. Um, how much work are you doing, if any, with boards? And are boards, are you seeing the shift in board? I'm hearing it, but I want to hear from you because um, I have less clients than you, you have um, participants. What's the shift? 
my board exposure comes, first of all, through Just Capital's own board, uh, which has a lot of people on it who sit on boards of big companies. We also have uh, a CEO advisory council, which has former CEOs of big companies who now sit on boards of multiple companies. So we get a lot of, of intel from from our friends and family network, people associated with the Just ecosystem. Um, and then, you know, I, I over the years, have, have built up a good network of just connections with CEOs of companies that we track and that we rank uh, and board members of those companies. I think, it, honestly, in a nutshell, what I would say is every board right now is grappling with this central issue of purpose and stakeholder value creation. And it, it might come in different forms and shapes, depending on the industry, depending on the company, but it's a topic of the conversation at every board in America. And, and it should be, it should be, because the role of boards ultimately is really about protecting the institution and the corporation itself, right? And matters relating to stakeholder value creation and purpose right now are the sort of most, you know, the highest priority set of issues affecting a company's future. So I think the dynamic is sort of, well, that might be a future way of looking at this versus shareholder primacy and the maximization of total shareholder return. Where those things clash, you know, that's kind of interesting, actually. That's that's a great conversation. We should do that on another, on another podcast. But like, I think that's where the rubber hits the road. And, and I'm not pretending this is simple, by the way. I'm, I think boards having a legitimate debate around what does that really mean for us? Right. You know, we got to protect shareholder value. We know that. But maybe the path to that lies in thinking about how we're investing in our workforce, how we're investing in our customers and our suppliers. You know, I think good boards are doing that already naturally, but it's now it's all about bringing this together much more quantitatively, benchmarking, measuring performance, incentivizing the, the leadership of companies to drive in that direction, and then measuring progress. You know, like uh, we're all about that adjust. So, so that's why that's the transition. And I think every board is grappling with that. So are you bringing any roundtables with, you know, directors and really discussing these hard issues? And then perhaps the output might be some modifications in the Just 100 or some blogs or interviews, you know, work with CNBC. We've done that on a, on a, on a, on a more of an ad hoc basis, but sounds like that's a good, good business idea, Carol. Well, do it. And then we should do that. We yeah. should do it. And then I'd love to do do a podcast with them, too, which would be kind of interesting. We could do a series of that um, because, you know, the how I think that there's agreement it's needed. But the point of from talk to action, you know, and boards don't like to get, you know, that deep. You know, they want to put pressure on this is we see this coming, et cetera. But there also needs to be pressure on action. And to your point, the balance is the really hard part the near term, the long term. And not everybody's going to be Paul Pullman, really. Well, you know, if you don't like my stock, I'm not going to give you quarterly guidance, then don't buy it. I mean, how many how many leaders have the courage that he had to say that and do it? Yeah, you're right. Good boards are all about courage and really having, 
you know, a really vigorous debate around these issues. I think they should be debated. You know, I, I, I think, unfortunately, we're plagued by dogma around these issues. Either it's all, you know, BS and doesn't mean anything, or it's like, you know, no, 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 this is the, what you have to do. And I think there's, we're in a transitional phase and I'm, I'm a realist. So I, I feel like, okay, let's just talk this through. Like, well, let's, let's first understand assumptions that we're making. Let's talk about how we measure progress. Let's, let, let's be, let's be rigorous about that. And so I, I think that's the conversation happening at boards. And certainly, you know, I think there's a lot of merit in, in board members talking to each other, among each other, you know, from different boards, learning from each other. I think that's really crucial. I want to turn this to communication. You're not a communications firm yet. Um, companies are grappling with, okay, we're doing this good work. Uh, we're, you know, changing wages that we're providing advancement. We have, you know, we're really, we've got some very innovative DEI policies, but there's this thing about, the humility, this humility, which I don't want to talk about it, but you've shown that you need to disclose. There's the, I don't know how to talk about it. And there's this whole question of, is it going to look more like, you know, purpose washing? So do you have any recommendations that you've seen perhaps from some of your, the companies you follow regarding what is uh, an authentic way to communicate their progress? To answer your question with a specific example if you look at our number one company this year alphabet just go go check out their report on dei and the progress there you know it reads like a 10k it's num a lot of numbers a lot of progress a lot of sort of year-on-year progress i mean you know i remember i'm old enough to remember you know 20 odd years ago when the first corporate social responsibility reports were out they look more like a you know, National Geographic magazine, <laughs> lots right, of right. happy, smiling people and employees planting trees and right. and painting fences. Sure, yeah, like really cute looking animals. So it was like that was our corporate social responsibility. Now, it you know, it's 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 obviously very very different. So communications has to be building today authenticity on these issues. I think there's a skepticism about corporate ESG and justness and sustainability. And I think there's some justification for that skepticism. You know, a lot of companies have made promises that, hmm, have they met? Not so sure. So you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to tell a story in progress. If you're trying to wait until you've got the, everything buttoned down and all the I's dotted and T's crossed and you look great, Either people were not going to believe it because no one's perfect. And, and I said this natural skepticism is going to be like, yeah, come on. Yeah, but, what's really right. going on? Mm -hmm. Or by the time you've done that, the ground will have shifted and you'll be behind the curve again. So it's telling a story in progress and being courageous enough to, your, to our earlier point to do that, you know, to be vulnerable. You know, hey, everybody, we haven't got this right yet, but we're working on it. And we will get better. And here's what we're doing. And here's how we're, we're holding ourselves accountable. Like that, I think, you know, in a very inarticulate way, 
is how to communicate on these issues today. We just interviewed uh, Chris Miller from Ben and Jerry's, who's their chief head of activism. They have an amazing, they don't call it a CSR report, but they call it a SEER, S-E-A-R report. And they talked about we were behind in equity, you know, and diversity. You know, they're in Burlington, Vermont. And so, you know, they looked at some of their core issues and they were very transparent. You know, we've brought in, we've brought in SMEs and we're talking to them about what we're going to do. And then they said, and this is what we're pledging. And they said, we're going to pledge and go, we're going to report. And it wasn't, you know, all peaches and cream, <laughs> which I thought was really a great way that they did it because they truly want to be authentic in all their activism. Um, I want to ask you about employees and communication because we find, you know, companies that have 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 employees or more. I mean, Accenture's got over 600,000. The companies that have the courage to allow their employees, one, to get engaged, skilled volunteerism, unskilled volunteerism, innovation with purpose, and allow them to talk about it on social media and in their networks, that's, I feel that's a, that's a tremendous way to build the story one tiny little brick at a time. But I'm just wondering if you're coming across that, what's your point of view about allowing employees to use their voice? Well, obviously, I think that 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 is now, you know, we we see that happening anyway with increasing employee activism, employees feeling, you know, as though collectively they need to they need to work together. You see that in sort of pro company unionization efforts that are happening at Starbucks, which, by the way, does really well in our rankings It's a great, great employer, you know, and provides a lot of great training and benefits and things like that. So so I think employees are, are, you know, they 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 will do they will find a way to drive forward with their voice and with their energies and with their activism. And so it's how a company channels that, you know, do you really feel like that's something you want to try and contain and manage and, you know, control, or is that your, could that be your superpower? You know, could that, could that, yeah, could that passion of your employees Mm -hmm. drive you forward in innovation and new markets and growth and all the rest of it. So so I think I think it's it's how you, uh, how a company's leadership approaches that communication is obviously part of that, um, but again, it, it, it you have to be communicating about things that are real and that are making a difference, and 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 understanding that is probably a whole new industry. You know, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure the whole the whole of the HR human capital world is sort of like a snow globe after COVID. So I mean, you know, everything's up in the air. And gradually those pieces are settling. Well, you know, what's interesting is, and I'm curious about um, these two areas, which have to do with meaning. I'm reading a lot, talking to our clients a lot about that. If you translate purpose even more simply and say it's providing meaning for the organization. So I'm curious about, are you hearing about meaning, albeit very hard to measure, as well as flexibility, because I'm hearing that the desire with the great resignation is that flexibility in my job is the number one thing that employees are looking for. So have you heard about meaning and or flexibility? Well, certainly flexibility. Definitely. That's come through conversations you have with with folks all around the country. And, and it's very sort of... Um, you know, it can be very personal, right? So everyone, the thing about about the, the pandemic is it's sort of, everyone's had their own personal journey through a common experience. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that has shown up in how much, you know, you think about some people have a lot of 
extended family they have to take care of. You know, are they able to do that? So, you know, they need flexible hours, they need different kind of benefits. Others have sort of been about the physical location and where they're working and how they commute or how not. And, and physical safety interacting with, you know, people in their store if they're a cashier or, you know. So very, very personal set of, you know, sets of issues. And 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 I think more flexibility as as COVID has sort of worked through and businesses have shut down and reopened and we're still grappling with vaccines and all that. Have sort of have sort of put that in the spotlight. I think meaning is obviously something deeper. Um, you know, I, I think it's partly explains the great reshuffle that's happening. You know, who hasn't sat at home at some point in the last couple of years and thought, "Boy, what is this? What is this all about?" You know, what's where where am I? What do I really care about? Who hasn't been confronted with really, really stressful situations. So I think that collectively causes causes society to think about meaning. And we don't, you know, in our polling, I don't detect any sort of shying away from believing in business or believing in individuals' ability to rise above and to make a better future. I don't I don't sense a, a societal an erosion of sort of, you know, societal values or, or, or sort of a lack of energy to really build a better future. I don't see any of that. I think it, you know, is a really strong sort of momentum that I think our politicians are not really harnessing. You know, I, I feel like it's sort of, if you look at recent polling of, of, you know, trust in government, it's, it's, you know, business is more trusted now. So I sort of feel as though, and we see, you know, we see that. So I, I sort of feel as though the America's wants more uh, from, from business, and that's how you express your ambitions and your meaning in life. It's how you reflect who you are and what you want to be, what, you know, what's your identity. And, and so that, I think, is partly explains that, you know, what we're going through as a society right now. But if you harness it, can be can be, again, a real superpower. Uh, I, I love superpowers. So uh, you and I could talk forever. And you know, maybe <laughs> we're going to have to do like, you know, the baker's dozen of the Martin and Carol conversation. Um, but I think we're going to have to like close this one down. So I would love for you to give three suggestions to anybody in a company. So they could be in the C-suite, they could be in innovation, sustainability, whatever, that truly want to become more a more just company. Um, and so not to just get the ratings and rankings, but truly to perform more powerfully. So can you give three, I mean, I know you could give a dozen, but let's just try for three and maybe if you'd like a fourth. Number one, and this speaks to one of our, our programs, Ask yourself, how many employees within your company are experiencing economic hardship? You know, we, we, we've started that work with a group of companies. Surprising how many employees, even at wealthy tech companies, big, you know, hugely profitable tech companies have workers that are experiencing acute financial hardship. And if you've ever experienced that in your life, it affects everything. You know, so it, it does have this ripple effect. So you're 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 an employee, or you're a, a a leader of a big business, have a lot of people. Just 
do an assessment of your workforce. And if you don't know how to do that, reach out to me or reach out to my colleagues at Just Capital and we'll plug you into that program. We'll show you how to do it. It's not hard. And you don't have to tell anybody about the results, but you, you, once you know, you can do something about it. So that, that's, that's an obvious place to start. I think number two would be, you know, conduct a benchmark. You got to ask yourself, where do we really feel like we're strong across the board of, of, of all of our stakeholders, our workers, communities, the planet, our customers, and our, our shareholders, and our governance? Do an audit or a benchmarking exercise to find out where are you? Where are you strong and where are you less than strong? And that will give you at least a longer term sense of, okay, where do we really need to focus? And if the Just Rankings can help you do that, or our program work can help you do that, great. There's lots of places you can go for help. Um, but yeah, if that that's one. And then I, th I think the third thing, if you're a worker at a company, you asked me about workers, right? Like if you're an employee yeah, of a business. Yeah, workers too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think starting a movement for justness in your own company, you know, I, I think would be really interesting. One of the, uh, again, anecdotally, um, we track like who clicks on our rankings and and who like uses them and visit you know visits different pages on our website and what we find is a lot of the visitors to just capital and especially those who drill down into the rankings and the data are employees of ranked companies that's kind of interesting to me so we would love to hear from employees of companies we'd love to help employees of companies and do that in a way that you, you know, bring sort of, you know, real, real power to that voice and plugs that into a broader movement for workers, uh, you know, in America. I think that would be very timely. I think 2022 is, as I just written in my recent uh, uh, year in review, the year of the S. So I think that's what will happen. And that that's all very consistent with that. So that's, that's three things just off the top. No, that that's great. The, those are really helpful. So um, I'm sorry to, to to end this. It's just I always love talking with you. It, we have just a great time. We come up with three or four new ideas for programs. We and should products. definitely do this more often. We, we we should try and get a program of podcasts focused on boards and other questions. Yeah, okay. I love so, that idea. Okay, so I'll I'll follow up with you on that one. You're fantastic at it, by the way. I oh. do a I do a lot of podcasts and. I always love this one. You ask great questions and uh, you know, you know your material, which makes a big difference. So thank you. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, being in the field and waiting for this moment in time over the decades, it's like it, it's what drives me every single day. And my podcast is a passion project. I mean, it's, it's an opportunity to talk with amazing people and to provide. We have, by the way, I just want to let everybody know we have an ebook. That we're now, we are almost about to launch our second edition. I think you're going to be in every single one, um, and we and we showcase in a very bite sizable fashion, um, 25 podcasts, and we'll, we'll also this ebook. We have a link to the show, so we've got a new one coming out in probably two three weeks, and um, I know you're in that one, and then you're going to be in the future one. So again, we're always trying to take this great content and share it. Because this is, you know, purposefully 
structuring and employees at the center, it just makes me smile, albeit it's really hard work. And it, as those of you who follow me know, my joke is I started it when I was six feet tall in 1983. I'm now five foot one and I can't get any shorter, but I'm not because there's Martin Whitaker, an incredible Just Capital out there. I got to give it a nod to Larry Fink and, you know, his, you know, how he is truly trying to shape um, who uh, I always look at our clients and go, oh, look how much the BlackRock owns of you. And listen to what Larry's saying in his current letter, which is great. Um, so there are these market movers. And I knew that this the purpose movement would never, never get there until the financial side truly came to bear. And so it's only been the last, you know, two or three years that it's happening. And and I am so proud of, and I love what Just Capital is doing. So keep it up. And I always like to give the last word to my guest. Um, so Martin, anything else that you want to say to our listeners? Please go to justcapital.com and just get involved. Support us in whatever way you can. We're a nonprofit we're open for business. We want to hear from anyone who's interested in our mission. Thank you again, Carol. Oh, it's my pleasure. And yeah, there is a donate button. So donate. And again, but it I wasn't want... just about money. That would be great. But uh, I, 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 I do mean like we do. We, we obviously we value every dollar, but 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 we we want to work with people in lots of different ways. And you do. Um, and please go to the website. They have all sorts of different programs. And I just want to end with your quote which is, we don't live in a trust-me world anymore. We live in a show-me world. So um, if we can leave on a point, which is like, I talk about embedding purpose, you talked about materiality, like, you know, really understanding, doing strategically understanding your stakeholders, your relationships, where do you have strengths, where do you have weaknesses, where can you close the gap, and act and disclose so Martin Whitaker, you never disappoint me. Um, I love our conversations. I woke up with a big smile this morning going, yeah, I'm going to be able to talk to Martin. So thank you for your great work. And to our listeners, um, please share this podcast with anybody on your teams, your networks, um, beyond your teams, and also go to places where they rank and rate podcasts. Give us a five star, please, because we want to get into the pantheon of the best business podcasts. This is no longer a niche. It's no longer a nice to do. It's a have to do. So thank you very much. And thank you to all our listeners for Purpose 360. And Martin, until next time, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Carol. Be well. 